You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great, if you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to Mark, Mark chapter 1. Uh, we do a, a Vision Sunday, it's three times a year, and we just remind ourselves what God has called us to be a part of. And uh, it's my privilege to be speaking this morning. Just before we jump into this passage, uh, I don't know uh, whether it's just me and my wife or whether lots of parents go through this, your child's first word seems really significant, doesn't it? Maybe it was me, but when our kids were small, you know, I'm just desperately trying to say, Dad, Daddy, Dad, you know, if you can get them to say Dad before Mum, you think you've won. Now, I guess what I find interesting is, what are people's first words? Some of you would have seen these people up here. You've got Julie Andrews. She was a famous nanny in a film. Apparently, her first word in life was home. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but she was a nanny. Steven Spielberg, his first word was why. Well, obviously, if you don't know Steven Spielberg, he was a famous film producer, and it was almost this thing, how could you push the boundaries? You know, E.T. was probably his first classic. Russell Brand... His first word, uh, if you don't know Russell Brand, I would just describe him as a general rebel, but I know he's a commentator and all this kind of stuff. His first words were, don't do that. Now, I don't really know if it's true they were their first words, but I guess what's happened is people have gone back and almost realized what they've become and suddenly thought, oh, maybe they were the first recorded words. What we're looking at this morning are the first recorded words of Jesus in the book of Mark. There there are four books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that all tell the life of Jesus. Mark is the shortest one. It's got 16 chapters. It's a fast pace. We think that Mark relied upon the disciple Peter for a lot of his ideas. And so it, it was very quick. There was no wasting of words. So we're going to read what Jesus said, the first recorded words. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. i say it again. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. In fact, if you read the Gospels, there's three Gospels that are fairly similar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, nicknamed the Synoptic Gospels, because they're quite similar. You would find one thing that came through all three Gospels. It's the kingdom. Jesus seems kingdom-obsessed. Many of his parables are like this. The kingdom of God is like... In fact, we think not just about his teaching, but we think about what he did. Many of his miracles were demonstrations of the kingdom of God breaking in. Some of you would realize that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. When I was at school, they used to still teach that prayer. It's now known as the Lord's Prayer. And it's in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. And one of the things Jesus taught us to pray is this. Your kingdom come... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if you suddenly think about who is this Jesus, I wonder if one of his first words would have been kingdom. The first recorded word in the gospel is Frederick Buchner. He's a U.S. writer and theologian, says this, The kingdom of God is where we belong. It is home, and whether we realize it or not, I think we are all of us homesick for it. 
I thought it was interesting, Farai brought that word earlier on, didn't he? And for some people, it's like, the UK's not your home. It wasn't where you were physically born. And, 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 and even though you feel happy and settled here, sometimes you can still think, oh, what about where else? I could almost feel a homesickness. This guy is saying, actually, all of us, there's a homesickness for the kingdom of God. In his book, Passion for the Heart of God, John Willis says this, the church has no reason to exist except for the advancement of his kingdom into areas it has never been before. Now, I want to ask you a question before I get going on this one. If I say the word kingdom to you, what do you think of? I say the word kingdom. Well, obviously, if you've, if you've been in the UK this week, anywhere, you would think of the next picture. Surely, we'd think of the kingdom, we'd think of Wills and Kate and this young couple that are out in Bhutan. And we just think, oh, actually, these are kingdom people, aren't they? Many would say, and I'm trying not to get political here, forgive me if I do for a moment, the United Kingdom, at one stage, one of the largest kingdoms of the world. This couple leading one of the smallest kingdoms of the world. So maybe if I said the word to you, kingdom, you'd suddenly think, oh, I'm thinking about kings and reigns. What did they think of when Jesus said kingdom? The first thing he turns up. What does he say? The kingdom of God is near. Well, I think we can only really understand these first recorded words of Jesus if we flick back in our Bibles right to the first book. The first book is Genesis. Genesis means beginning. You see, I would like to point out this morning that I believe the kingdom is a thread the whole way through the Bible. So in Genesis... I believe that the kingdom of God is there right in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve have a close relationship with God. When living under his rule and protection, they have an abundance and all that they could need. Yet they choose to go their own way. They rebel against God. They become independent of God. They want to rule their own lives, which means they can no longer stay in his garden because if you don't allow God to be your king, you can't expect to be part of his kingdom. You could read in Genesis 3, verse 23, it says, The Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had taken them. So I would say, actually, God's whole thing right at the outset was, I'm going to have this kingdom, I'm going to have these people, I'm going to have this relationship, I'm going to rule and we're going to be together. And actually, his whole heart was, I'm going to provide for them abundantly. That was the kingdom. And people said, forget it. I want to do my own thing. So God could have walked away and thought, right, I'm going to wash my hands of this lot. I'm not interested. But actually the kingdom was so ingrained, I would say, in God that he thought, I can't do that. And so we discover in the Old Testament that God wants to establish his kingdom. The Bible says God loves us and longs for relationship. Some of us have sometimes said in church, mission exists because worship doesn't. I would like to suggest that mission exists because love demands it. God so loved us that it's almost like I, I want to reach out to them and bring them into my kingdom. And so if you, if you thought about the Old Testament, you could think actually it's this story of God winning a people. 
Some of you might be aware, you know, he sent Moses, didn't he? Because the people were under Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a bad king. It does feel a bit panto this morning. You know, at this time, we'd all be going, boo, you know, it's Pharaoh. And, and, and basically, he turned these people into slaves for 400 years. And what God says is, I'm going to go and win these people. And so he sends his servant Moses to go and set them free. And when they get out of Egypt, they cross the Red Sea. It's almost like God has delivered them. What's the first thing they sing? It's not a trick. It's in Exodus 15. And they sing this. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Because what they suddenly realized is, oh, we've been trapped under this. We've suddenly come and realized that God is our king. And so what God was trying to say is, I'm, I'm going to establish this kingdom. And so then what he says to the people is, come on, how do we really relate to one another? You see, he, he grabs a people and he gives them a law. We know it as the Ten Commandments. And then what does he do with the people? He says, well, actually, I've got this people and I've established this relationship. I need to give them some land. So then what does he say? He says, Joshua, I want you to go in, take Jericho, take the rest of this place, because I'm the king that provides for my people. And so we can see this picture emerging. In fact, then if you go through the Bible, and I'm, I'm flipping through the Old Testament, I'm trying to skip here, we then see the kingdom extended. What do I mean by that? Well, actually, if you'd have been around in Jesus' time and you'd have said king, they'd have all thought, who's the greatest king? Oh, it was David. And so what happened is, is, is David, he, he, he had this one sort of tribe that was with him, and obviously there was Saul, and then he brings them together. David extends the kingdom. They used to sing about David. You know, He's killed thousands because actually he was victorious, and he extended the land. And what God was saying is, I'm going to extend this kingdom. It says in 2 Samuel, a book in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 5. David was 30 years old when he became king. He reigned for 40 years. And then some of you oh, well, after David, who came next? This guy, Solomon. Solomon was wise. Solomon was wealthy. It says the people from all over the earth gathered and sat at his feet going, wow, your servants must just delight of being in your presence. They didn't have Ikea in those days. It's almost like every plate and bowl was designed differently. And they thought, wow, what creativity. This is an incredible kingdom. And this is what God was doing. He was extending the kingdom. Sadly, if you know the rest of the story in the Old Testament, some of the children of Solomon and the future generations turned out to be bad. They turn out to want to do their own thing, go their own way. And it's almost like God exiled, is the term that's used in the Bible, the kingdom. So what he says is, actually, you guys have misbehaved. And first it was the Babylonians, which is modern-day Iraq. They come in and they attack some of these tribes and they carry them off. And then, actually, the second lot that come in, because and, and, the kingdom's now divided, they come in and take the southern kingdom, was the Assyrians. That's modern-day Syria, Iraq, and Iran. They had a big empire. And you can read about that in 2 Kings 17. It says, The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam and did not turn away from them until the Lord removed them from his presence as he has warned through all his servants, the prophets. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and there 
us, and they are still there. The land, the law, the temple, which had been signs of the kingdom, were lost. They no longer had this land. They could no longer obey their own laws. They had to do whatever the new king told them. They no longer had this temple because actually it had been left behind and had been ransacked. And so if you read in the Bible, you think, oh, God's heart was to have this kingdom. And then he establishes it. He expands it. Now it's been exiled. And then the picture is this, a kingdom to be expected. And so what had happened is while they were away, and uh, they were away for 70 years in exile, different prophets would turn up and they would speak words, say, come on, believe, believe. I mean, you know, I, 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 please don't stone me as a false prophet. I feel like this every time England are in a World Cup football tournament. I think this time, you know, more than any other time, we're going to do it. You know, I, I think maybe it's false expectations, let's be really honest, but it wasn't here. The kingdom was expected. The prophets would come along and they would say to them, look, I know you're living a long way from home and I know that you don't like this, but what I want to say to you is God will send someone that's going to be anointed and this person is going to be called the Messiah. And when the Messiah comes, what will he do? He will reestablish this kingdom. And so they would listen to this. You can read about it in Isaiah, probably the largest prophet in the Old Testament. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And from his roots, a branch that will bear fruit. A spirit of the Lord will be upon him. Ezekiel was another one. It's almost like there's going to be this amazing kingdom in the future. Oh, it's just going to be incredible. There'll be justice. There'll be provision. The poor will be looked after. The kingdom will be established. And then how does the Old Testament end? The kingdom elapsed. 400 years and nothing's happened. It's almost like, I thought something was going to happen, but everything goes quiet. The people did return from exile. They built the temple, but it was smaller. They still had to obey foreign rulers and kings. But for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, it just went quiet. Oh, until Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, what happens? The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. And so suddenly what Jesus says is, look, you know, right from the beginning of time, this massive great idea of God about the kingdom that advances, the kingdom is near. I tell you, I want to capture you up this morning in something big and exciting. Yeah. You see, when, when I sort of come for these days and I think, oh, you know, it's a vision day. What are we going to believe God for? I don't just want to believe God for this room filled twice. I don't just want to believe God for churches. I want to believe God that we're part of a kingdom that started from the beginning of time and will go on forever. I want to believe God for something really exciting. You see, when we come and give our money, we, we want to give it thinking, oh, well, I'm part of the kingdom. I can't remember the song, and, and my kids laugh at me because when I sing songs, I often change the words anyway, so it might not even exist. <laughs> but I'm sure I used to sing one, all I am for your kingdom course. And, and, and that's what I almost want. Jesus is coming and saying, the kingdom is coming. So what do we know about this kingdom? What do we know? 
we know this, that Jesus taught with such authority. People listened to him. Everything you discover about Jesus is a, is a revelation of this kingdom. We know that he takes 12 disciples. Well, is that just because 12 was his favorite number? No, we know it's because in the Old Testament, they had 12 tribes. And so the 12 disciples was almost a, a saying, I'm establishing a new kingdom. I want you to say, actually, what was predicted will be fulfilled in me. We know that Jesus calmed the sea. You can read about that in Mark 4. So what he was saying is chaos and opposition can be stilled in the new kingdom. We know that he casts a demon out of someone in Mark 5. This is a demonstration of kingdom life. We know that a woman comes up who's who's been bleeding for years and touches the hem of his garment and is instantly healed because that demonstrates Jesus and his authority over health, life, and death. We know that when Herod has a banquet and chops off John the Baptist's head, he feeds a few of the favorites. And yet in the same chapter, Jesus feeds 5,000 because we know that his kingdom is for the masses. It's for the nations. That's what we can read about here. Os Guinness, he's an English author and social critic, said, Jesus made clear the kingdom of God is organic, not organizational. It grows like a seed. It works like leaven, secretly, invisibly, surprisingly, and irresistibly. And, and you can almost get this. And if we had time and we could just go through the whole of the gospel, we think, wow, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. What do we learn about the kingdom of God? Well, we learn something about the titles that are given to Jesus, the great king. We know that he's called the son of man. And some of us think son of man, that's not a great title. Son of God might have been better. But actually, if you understood the kingdom predicted in Daniel, you'd have understood the Son of Man was the name for the Messiah. So actually, by saying that, he's saying, I am God. This is something that the Jews have been looking for. We know that his name was Christ. It wasn't like that was his surname, Pete Cornford, you know, Jesus Christ. We can sometimes think that. Oh, is that just his surname? You know, at school, was that? No, no, Christ meant anointed one. And so there's this sense of, actually, this king, he is the anointed one. Even the title of son of David that was used. David was the, the, king, the great king of the Old Testament. They'd look back and think, David, hey, Jesus says, I'm, I'm the son of David. Something even better is going to come. What do we discover about the kingdom in Jesus? We discover it's a kingdom of love. What does Jesus say? If someone has a go at you, get them back. Does he say, smile to their face, and when they've walked away, stab them? No, Jesus says, love your enemies. So when we read about the kingdom, this is what we understand. What what do we understand about the kingdom when we look at the life of Jesus? Well, Well, actually, Jesus, although he was the son of God, the son of man, this great anointed one, when none of the others would stoop and wash the feet, which was the lowest job of the low, which you weren't supposed to do if you were a Jew, Jesus thinks, I'll do it. I'll get down. I'll wash the feet. We understand the kingdom is not only a kingdom of love, it's a kingdom that serves. We understand that it's a kingdom of mercy. When this woman who's caught in adultery is brought before Jesus... And it's it's obvious she's done wrong. It's obvious that she should be stoned. That was the rules. 
What does Jesus say? He who is without sin cast the first stone. I've often imagined what that would be like. Everybody starts dropping their stones and walking away. So Jesus looks up and suddenly thinks, oh, it's just the two of us. I don't condemn you either. Go and leave your life of sin. It's, it's a kingdom of mercy, isn't it? You see, in the past, David and Solomon, they tried to battle for success. But Jesus Christ demonstrated the kingdom when he died on the cross. Paul Tripp, he's a pastor, author, and conference speaker, says this. In the center of the kingdom of God, you do not find a gargantuan palace inhabited by an unapproachable king. No, in the center of the kingdom of God is a bloody cross on which hung a broken king who welcomes us as we are. Jesus come and said, hey, this is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom that we can discover. Now, I want to say there can be some dangers for us today as we start thinking about this great kingdom. I think there can be a danger in that we turn the kingdom into a prosperity kingdom. I.e., it gives me everything I want. Name it, frame it, claim it. Son of the king, drive a Ferrari. I think there's a danger in that. I think there's the opposite danger. Actually, it's about poverty. And that we can grow up in a church that just thinks, oh, well, I'll never have anything. I'm never going to make an impact. I was chatting to a Christian yesterday from another church who's telling me they've got a cabinet minister in their church. And I think, yeah, we should be shaping government. We mustn't think about poverty. I think another danger of the kingdom is that we think everything is now. So we're going to take everything now. But actually, sometimes we then think, oh, no, everything's not now. And we know that there'll be coming of the kingdom in heaven. We know in Revelation, there's a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. God himself will be with them. There can be some dangers, but what I think there is no danger of missing in the Bible is what's Jesus' approach to his disciples and the kingdom. He says... Go. How do I know that? Well, when he sends out the 12 in Matthew 10, chapter 7, he says, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven. I think it's fascinating, isn't it? If I'd have been Jesus and I'd been sending them out, what message might I have said? I might say, go and tell everyone, hey, you're really special on the inside. Doesn't matter how people judge you on the outside. Jesus said, go and take the kingdom. What might I have said? Jesus said, proclaim the kingdom of heaven. If you follow Jesus, then what he would say to you today is, I want you to get caught up in advancing this kingdom. I want you to be excited and advancing the kingdom. Well, we could say, oh, but Pete, the 12, I mean, they were the 12. They were his special 12. But actually, when he sends out 72 in Luke chapter 10, verse 9, what does he say to the 72? Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I want you to be excited. I want us to have a vision as a church. We are here to see the kingdom advance. <laughs> That's exciting, isn't it? Yes. 
When I was a kid, I grew up in a small town in Upfield. Okay, we didn't have all the technology that people did today. I've probably told you this before, but I often think it's a picture. As boys, we used to put our arms around each other in the playground. Emmanuel, come and help me, please. And so me and Emmanuel might be friends on the playground. And so I would put my arm around him and he'd put his arm around me and we would walk around the playground going, who wants to play our game war? That's what I did when I was at primary school. Adam, I might say, Adam, you're a friend, come and join me. I'd put my arm around Adam, Adam put his arm around me. We'd march around the playground. Who wants to play our game war? And if you wanted to come and join, people would put their arms out. And we could have a whole line. Do you know, by the end of break time, we had a load of boys walking around. Who wants to play our game war? But we never did anything. <laughs> and then they'd blow the whistle. Oh, it's time to go in. Thanks, guys. I had a great time with you. you know, so we'd go in for the next lesson. Next time at break time, some one of us, some twit who didn't realize it hadn't worked last break, would go out and say, who wants to play our game war? <laughs> Phil, come and join me. You know what I'm saying? Then we'd be walking around. Jesus clearly says, come on, we're to get caught up in it. But we're not just to walk around and talk about it. We are here to advance the kingdom. And so in some respect, I believe that he's saying, come, come join. But let's not just keep walking and talking forever. Sunday, he's a Nigerian pastor who leads a movement in Ukraine. He says, Christians have the spiritual mandate to establish the kingdom of God in their own lives and in their society. I believe that we should be actively, actively committed to advancing the kingdom of God. This is what we're called to do. What's the vision of the church? Well, I think if we understand the first words of Jesus, if we understand anything of the gospel, if we understand the whole thread of the Bible and history, we'll get caught up in advancing the kingdom of God. Dallas Willard, he was an American philosopher. I don't think I've got this quote up here. You'll have to listen carefully. It says, individually, the disciple and friend of Jesus who has learned to work shoulder to shoulder with his or her Lord stands in this world as a point of contact between heaven and earth, a kind of Jacob's ladder by which the angels of God may ascend from and descend into human life. Thus the disciple, that's us Christians, a believer, stands as an envoy or as a receiver by which the kingdom of God is conveyed into every quarter of human affairs. You see, if we are kingdom people, this affects everything. So if you're a stay-at-home mum, it affects you. If you're a double-glazed salesman, it affects you. If you're going to be on creme de la creme on Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, it affects you. Yes, there is a guy from the church who will be there this week. If you are a lollipop lady, it affects you. If you're a teacher, it affects you. Wherever you are, whether you're a cook or a chef or a nanny or a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer, the kingdom of God affects you. And you should therefore affect those around you. We are the people of the future kingdom of God. We are to live lives in the future, of the future in the present. The challenge is, if it's not good enough for the future, it is not good enough for the present. So when you see someone sick, we pray that God would help them. When we see someone outside the kingdom, we invite them in. When we see someone in pain, we do all we can to wipe the tears from their eyes. 
The kingdom thread began with the kingdom in Eden. It will end with the perfect kingdom in Revelation. We are called to play our part. You see, by now everyone should be standing up, arms around each other, saying, come on, I want to go to war. I think this is what it's about. So you're going to say to me, okay, Pete, it's, it's the vision day. How, how does this impact us? I just want to bring three very simple, hopefully challenging ways that I think it should impact every single person in the room. Every single person. You see, I think if you want to be part of this great kingdom, I don't know how many of you have seen this, you do not have to fire a bow and arrow like Wills and Kate did. You know, it's not like you've got to do something, but there is a role for you to play. Every one of us is called to pray. I encourage you, I implore you, pray, 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 pray. This quote, uh, I'd heard it several times this week. I looked it up and they told me it was William Shakespeare, the English poet and playwright who said, if an army marches on its stomach, then a church advances on its knees. I.e., you know, if you really want to be soldiers and you want to take a land, you've got just got to make sure you've got to feed people and cook them. My grandfather took part in the Second World War. When I was a boy, he used to show me his medals. I used to sit and say, Granddad, tell me, what did you do? He said, Pete, I was a cook. <laughs> uh, as a little boy who wanted to play war, I wasn't impressed by that. You know what I'm saying? A cook? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. I spent years cooking in the army. <laughs> I said, you didn't shoot a single gun? No, I was a cook. <laughs> he said, they couldn't have done it without me, Pete. I'd never realized that. An army marches on its stomach, but the church advances on its knees. If we're going to make a difference in Ealing, in London, and beyond, we've got to be a people that pray. We've got to be a people that pray. We have a prayer and vision night. I I hope that you think, man, I've, I've got to be there. I don't know what you've got on that evening. I encourage you now, cancel it. Come along. Was it 4th of May? Why? We're going to pray. We gather as a church, 9.45 every Sunday morning and pray before the meeting. Golly, 9.45. I know that so late you all start work before 9.45 throughout the week. I'm not bringing enough of a challenge. If you like, I could do it at 6. If we want to up the anything, but just come at 9.45. Why? Because we pray. God answers prayer. When we start our meetups which we'll be talking about soon, we encourage you to pray. I tell you, when you have one another, when you meet up for a coffee, why don't pray together? When you have people around for lunch, pray together. We must be a church that prays. That would be my thing. The first thing I would say, if you want to get involved in the kingdom, pray. The second thing I would say, if you want to be involved in the kingdom, serve. Serve. John Stott, he was an English uh, vicar, a leader in the evangelical movement. He says this, greatness in the kingdom of God is measured in obedience. I would like to say that I honestly believe everybody here has got a role to play. Everybody. So, I mean, I think it's amazing what these folk do, but I think people here have been setting up this morning. People right now are serving the kids. People right now are doing the projection. People right now are doing the sound. I would love to invite every single one of you to serve in one way. 
And I know that we've got some heroes. I know when we did our craft noon locally, people in this church took a day off work to think, I want to see the kingdom advance. I'll take a day's holiday and go and help with the craft. Do you know there's somebody in this church, and I won't say a name because I'll always embarrass them. They had just been on holiday in Canada. They got off the plane and literally came straight to the craft noon to serve. I thought, wow, that, that's the kingdom of God, isn't it? If I tell you their name, they'll lose their eternal reward, and I hate to do that for them. But I just think, oh, God, what about us? Seriously, if you have not stepped in, I would encourage you. Why, why do you, you don't just come to put a flyer on a chair. You come to see the kingdom advance. You see, when they talk about a hog roast, kingdom advances by you being there. You see, if you come, you're much more likely to bring a guest. So just all come. I'd like you all to email me this week and say, I'm going to be there, Pete. In fact, kill two pigs because one's not going to be enough. (laughs) Okay, I'll do a vegetarian option for those that are not interested. I think, come on, how do we genuinely say, come on, this is what we're going to go for. That is kingdom advanced together. We serve one another. How could I help you? How could I give you a lift? How could I phone you? How could I do some encouragement for you? The kingdom of God is advanced by our serving. Jesus himself served. And surely that's a part of the kingdom advancing. And the final point, which I'm sure is no surprise if you're aware it's our gift day, I think the kingdom of God is advanced through prayer. I think the kingdom of God is advanced through serving. I think the kingdom of God is advanced through giving. You see, when we put our money in, please, let's not get into the thing of, oh, I've just got a bit of loose change. We're thinking, how can I be involved in advancing the kingdom of God? You know, you you could either think, oh, golly, I'm I'm, I'm turning up and I'm having to pay for my coffee and cakes. Or you could think, no, actually, it's my privilege to be involved in kingdom. This is the kingdom that's going right from the beginning of time right to the end. This is something that's right on Jesus' heart. And he lets me get involved. That, to me, is something of the kingdom of God. Today, we're doing our, our gift day. That's an, we call it an over and above. And for many of us, it's a challenge. Adam preached a couple of weeks ago. I'm glad he had the job, not me. Did it so well, well worth listening to on the website. Come on, what about this sense of sacrifice? Why, all I am for your kingdom course. And then you just sort of think, oh, God. So that is what we're encouraging. We're encouraging you today in these envelopes. It could well be that you're going to put a one-off gift in there. could be cash or a check. It could be you're going to put a pledge in there for the months to come. This, current, this coming year, actually, I'm going to pledge something for Kingdom Advance. could be any of that. They will give us more details. But don't just think about today. I, I would encourage all of you. I personally do not know who gives what in this church, and I choose to keep it that way. I don't want to feel like I can't look anyone in the eye, you know, and think, oh, you know, I, I want to preach what is biblical without knowing what any one person gives. I do always ask for things that encourage or things that challenge. What I would love to say is that if you don't give regularly, step in. I was told by the finance team, so they, they, they would trace givers so that we can do it through the gift aid, Only half the church regularly give. I would love to say to the other half, whoever you are, step in with us. This is about kingdom advance. Some of you may not understand, particularly if you come from another nation, we do gift aid. 
In the UK, our government is very generous. If you pay tax here and you give, we can get the money back. Really? Yes. It might not have happened at home, but it does here. If you fill in one of these envelopes, you only ever have to do it once. Just basically say any gift. If you're a UK taxpayer, we get 25p back in every pound. So if you give me 100 pounds, not me, <coughs> Freudian slip there at the church. If you give the church 100 pounds, they can get 25 pounds back. If you give 1,000 pounds, they can get 250 pounds back. So the church budget for the year says 200,000 pounds. If everyone gave through gift aid, you get 50,000 pounds back just through an envelope. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? You could just literally put cash in there, put your name on it, we get the tax back. You could put a check in there, we get the tax back. You do it online, we get the tax. I mean, do you know the biggest giver is George Osborne? And I love the fact that he's so supportive of our church. <laughs> I really do. And I would encourage you, if you've never signed a gift day form, sign it. I, but what I really want, and I don't want to end just on these details, I would love us to think this morning, the whole point of what we're doing is what? Kingdom advance. You see, Jesus came, and what did he say? The kingdom of God is near. What are we called to do? We are here to make an impact on Ealing, on London, on the world. I love the fact that, that we're involved already in supporting a church plant out in Istanbul. I love that. You know what I'm saying? I've already been told of an offering that's coming up. They want to do a church party in Nairobi, I think it is, and somewhere else. And they're saying, could you get behind it? And everything inside of me thinks, I really want to. Because we're involved in kingdom advance. And so what I'd love to think is, hey, I don't just turn up and serve on a Sunday. I'm here for the kingdom cause. You know what I'm saying? When I offer to pray for my neighbor on a Monday, it's kingdom advance. When I invite my friend to Tony Jarrett, it's kingdom advance. Jesus, we want to thank you that right at the center of this kingdom is not some palace, but it is your cross. We know that your cross just demonstrated you. You you gave it all. I pray you'd help us. Lord, we don't want to do it out of guilt. We want to do it out of love. I pray you'd help us to get caught up in this great kingdom story. Lord, we ask that we just see some exciting things. Father, I thank you for what we've seen in three years. I thank you for people that have come to know you, people who got baptized. I thank you for people getting baptized in July, and they're saying, look, actually, I died to myself, all I am for the kingdom cause. Lord, I thank you in this church for people that are serving now, yeah, for the kingdom cause. I thank you for those that give so regularly, so generously. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the people that serve so diligently. Lord, I pray this morning that as a church we get our vision again on all I am for the kingdom cause. Let's see the kingdom advance in our own lives, in this place, for your glory. Amen.